0: The Daisy Chain podcast is proudly supported by Personal Farewells, proudly family-owned and operated independent funeral directors located in Sydney. My name is Emma. I own the Daisy Chain and run music and movement programs for aged care and disability facilities. I'm going to share how to find fun, purpose and connection in that stage of life that others think is boring, dull and pointless. If you would like to know how we shine a light on the fun, vibrant, full lifestyles of the aged care residents and disability clients, stay with me as I share the stories of human connection. Good morning, this is Emma from the Daisy Chain podcast. I am here today with Anne-Marie McLeod who runs a business called McLeod with a Silver Lining. Uh, Anne-Marie is an end-of-life celebrant and doula. So welcome, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Hello. Nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Excellent. So we're going to talk a little today on uh, what's an end-of-life doula um, who needs one? We're going to chat about your journey that's that's brought you to this point, um, and how you got into this line of work, and um, and then we'll see where the conversation takes us. I'm sure we'll meander along the way and and take a few, a bit of a scenic route. But um, we're going Perfect. to start with um, just I think the first question is what is an end of life doula? Yeah,
1: great question, and it's the question that I'm asked pretty much by every single person when they ask me what I do. The next question is, what is an end-of-life doula? Um, so the word doula itself is actually quite an ancient word coming from Greek origin, and so it is um, it means a woman who serves and it refers to the one who provides non-medical support and information through life's transitions, so most commonly birth and death. So back in the days, you know, before hospitals and midwives, um, the women in the village took care of each other during birth and also during death. So that's where the terms death doula, death midwife, um, end of life doula all come from. And in more recent times, I've come across the word death walker, which I actually really love now. Um it was coined by Zenith Virago. She's the founder of the Natural Death Care Centre in Byron Bay. Uh, I did some training with her and she's an incredible inspiration for me. Um, but I decided to call myself an end-of-life doula because I felt like that was a bit softer. Yeah. But the more I do this work, the more I'm resonating with the word death walker because it really is about walking with people who are experiencing dying and death, um, walking beside them, holding their hand, you know, guiding them, advocating for them and supporting them through a time that is largely felt as the complete unknown So death doulas also support families and loved ones uh, who are caring for the person who's dying. Um, Often those people are doing it for the first time and they can feel really out of their depths. You know, they're going through an incredibly emotional time. Um, Grief often starts for us when we hear of the diagnosis, you know, that's, that's where the grief first sets in. And just people feel like they just, don't know what to do and so they have to go through this emotional time. Um, On top of that, they have to start doing some hard things, making some hard decisions. So it's important that people know that they don't have to do that alone and basically an end-of-life doula is someone who can support in a range of different ways depending on what you need and how you're feeling about it. Um, The journey is different for for every family, um, but it's really about finding out what this particular family needs and, and what the individual needs, and personalizing a service for
0: them. Yep. beautiful. So, how did you end up at this at this point in your life? Like, what had happened? What were you doing before? Um, how long have you been doing this? How did you end up um, exploring this as a, an opportunity and something that you felt drawn to? Um, very unexpectedly, <laughs> um,
1: my beautiful young mum got very sick very quickly and died about five years ago. Um, my sister and I were able to find a way to honour her dying wish and care for her at home. She did have some time in hospital, but we were able to take her home and care for her right to the very end. And even though that was an incredibly difficult time, it was probably the hardest thing that we've ever had to do. Um, but it was pretty amazing too. It was, um, you know, as, as sisters, as daughters, it was just absolutely so special, um, to be able to be there and just spend that time with her, even though, you know, looking back now, I'm sure that we could have done a whole lot more, but that's all part of the learning, you know, um, So, yeah, that was a really life-changing time and and we were actually also able to give her a very personal, unique beachside farewell ceremony that we did by ourselves, which was just Mm -hmm. really exactly what she wanted. The moon was rising and that was just beautiful. Wow. Um, And I didn't know it then, but, you know, that was a catalyst to change for me in my life and, and lots of little things sort of happened after that, but it led to me becoming redundant in my job. I'd been working in corporate um, big corporate companies for about 25 years. Never really felt too fulfilled or <laughs> like my work had any meaning whatsoever. Um, and so being made redundant gave me that push into a life change and gave me, you know, all of a sudden I had all this time on my hands to reevaluate life. What do I want to do? And I can actually only describe what happened as a really magical. Um, Yeah, just a really magical experience that just very loudly and clearly said to me, "You need to be working in the space of death and dying." You know, and I'd never really thought about it before. You know, I've been mum wasn't the first loss that I'd experienced, uh, but she was definitely, like I said, you know, probably the the catalyst for all the change um, that has led me here. But I do realise that all of the other losses and and deaths that I've experienced in my life have been leading me here in some way. I just had to do a stint in corporate for a quarter of a century (laughs) first.
0: I'm sure there was lots of skill that you learned during that part of the journey. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it is
1: part of the journey. That's right. You know, and, and all of those skills, yeah, help me with the running of the business side of things. Um, But, you know, all of the lessons, you know, I feel very, even though, you know, obviously, you know, mum's death was awful and sad and heartbreaking, but I'm actually very grateful for the lessons and the blessings that her life and her death have given me. And so I guess everything that I'm doing now is with, you know, sense of gratitude to mum, which yeah. is really special. Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and I know we spoke briefly before and I said it's it's really beautiful that uh the majority of the guests that we had on the podcast have been through that journey where something has has happened in their life with a loved one, and that's kind of inspired them and given them the purpose to do what they're doing now. Which I think you know that's the best, the best gift that someone can leave us with um, is that purpose to whatever it is, whether it's you know with like with the daisy chain, with bringing music and movement and joy for yourself, um, you know, new programs, whatever it might be. That's it's taking that experience and that profound um, change and being able to then, um, I guess transform that into something that then helps other people.
1: Yeah. It's a heck of a legacy for them, isn't it? Yeah. Without them even knowing yeah. what they've passed on to us, it is an incredible legacy. And, um, just I think that it, it helps bring so much more meaning to to our work. I mean, I was that kid who never knew what she wanted to do when she grew up. I think I wanted to be a school teacher at one stage and, you know, all the standards, but I really just never had a a sense of passion or or, or calling until literally a few years ago when I it was literally an undeniable calling. And I was like, oh wow, I've heard about this. <laughs> I've heard other people that have this, but I've never <laughs> had it myself. Like that's amazing thanks mom you know it was kind of yeah it was kind of cool (laughs) yeah it's really interesting
0: because my my almost 16 year old is you know uh, going through doing work experience and talking to careers advisors and all that and it's like you know you you kind of go through school and your late teens early 20s being asked what do you want to do um and I think for me now, you know, as a woman in my forties, it's actually not what I want to do. It's who I want to be. Um, and, and that, that purpose that, you know, it might not hit us till something happens later in our life. And it, you know, it's that old adage of, you know, if I knew what I knew now, when I was 16, 15, what would I do differently? But, you know, it's, it's hard when they're saying to you, you know, I don't know what I want to do, mum. i like, I don't know what I want to do for a job. And it's like, well, actually don't need to stress about it because, you know, it will, what happens is what's meant to happen. Um, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I completely resonate with that too. I am in my 40s as well. And, you know, I think, and it's not the first time I was made redundant either, but the last time I was made redundant when I was much younger, probably, you know, I don't know, my early 30s. I just had to go out and get a new job. I didn't even think about, oh, this could be an opportunity for a life change, you know. So it's, it is interesting. We sort of, we find out what we need to know when we need to know it, I think, yep. and we yeah, do spend time building up our skills in other areas for whatever reason. But now, you know, now yeah. we kind of get it, don't we? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> don't we so to get much it? wiser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, I still don't know what I want to do, honey. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> I know, I am doing it. <laughs> um, so... Once you made that decision and you had that calling and you, you know, you became clear on your purpose, what's the next step? Like, is there is there some kind of training? Can anyone become an end-of-life doula? Uh, yeah, I guess what's that next step look like?
1: Yeah, there's plenty of training. There's plenty of information out there. It was a minefield at the beginning actually because, um, first of all, I called a friend. Like, as soon as I sort of had this, you know, this moment, I wrote down, you know, call Evie. Because I knew that she had done some training as an end of life doula. And I just thought, okay. And she was amazing because she said, call this person, watch this podcast, watch this little movie, you know, find this person on YouTube, read this book. She just gave me this whole list of things to do and that just opened a massive can of worms for me. And for months I spent time doing just that, reading things, watching things, talking to people, researching, never been a great researcher before either. Um, and just finding out what people are doing in this space. And I ended up doing um, training with. The end of uh, sorry, the natural death care center um, in Byron Bay, which was amazing. Her death walker, Zenith Virago's death walker training was life changing for me. It was really incredible. Um, There's heaps of other training out there as well. There's a lot of people doing a lot of good things in this space, and I would like to do more training as well. I'm waiting for some of it. I'll be honest. I'm waiting for some of it to be accredited because people like accreditations and all that sort of thing. Um, I honestly. Felt like I had a lot of natural ability and a lot of natural um, gift in a way in this space to to be with people who are dying um, because I have have experienced experienced it several several times times. in my life. So the training that I did just felt like I was home in a way. So, you know, I feel like I need to do more training because people want to see lots of accreditation. But the other part of me feels like I really, I don't want this to sound, I feel like what I was about to say was going to sound very egotistical, but just from a very heart-centred space, I feel like I know that I can help people feel comfortable in this space, which is not something that you can learn, in my opinion. You either can be in this space comfortably or you can't be. Some people are very, very scared of death. Some people just can't stop crying. Some people, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of different um, experiences that people have had. And, I mean, I used to be someone who cried a lot too. I'd cry at the Kleenex commercials, you know, but um, this is different. And so the training for me really formed a f- fantastic foundation for me to continue. And there has been, it's just ongoing learning. It never ends. And the biggest training that I get is every time I'm with another person in the space of dying because every person is different, every family is different, every life is different. Um, And so, yeah, there's there's only so much, you know, especially when you're, you know, in a brand new business, you can only spread your education dollar so far every, you know, as often as you can. Um, and you can be a student for life, really. Yeah. So it's it's how it's where you get your learning from. So yeah. did I answer your question? Yeah. Um, Good. <laughs> <laughs> <You did. laughs>
0: um, okay. So what? I guess, like you know, we've already touched on the fact that you're like, every life's different, every family's different, um, everyone's going through their own journey and their own emotions in a completely different way to everyone else. There is no normal. Um, you know there's there's things that are common, I guess, um, but there's there's no normal. Um, but I am gonna ask you what are what are common questions that when you're going through this process with someone, um, I guess how do people find you to start with? What's the process? when do they come to you? Um, yeah, all of those things like what how does what you do actually um, happen? Um mostly word of mouth.
1: I mean, I've got a website and social media and all of that and it's starting to get out there, you know. Uh, but I think this is the kind of – I'm a funeral celebrant as well, as you know, so particularly people like to go, oh, who was that person that you told me about? Because it's such a personal space to be in, you know. I'm in people's homes and, um, you know, talking to them at very vulnerable times. I think, you know, word of mouth is the definitely the best form of – um, advertisement. So people find me, I just, I feel like they're just guided to me so far. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but cause I don't do much advertising or anything at all. Um, the questions they ask me, usually the first few questions are, what do I do? Who do I call? What do I, what's happening? Like, you know, what do I need to do? Because people are in that space of my parent is dying. I have to be at hospital, but I just I just don't know what questions to ask. So you know I can give them some ideas about right. You know you're asking questions, where they're up to. And, um, you know, I had a friend on the phone just a couple of days ago, actually, about her dad. And, you know, she just felt like she was really struggling to get answers between the aged care centre and the hospital. There was a lot of miscommunication and she was very, very stressed. A few days later, it has started to really calm down and she's in a much different place, which is great because I was able to give her, you know, a bit of a list of questions to ask. Every situation is different, so those questions are going to be slightly different, but it, it really is about, you know, where are you up to, what do you need, and um, empowering them to ask the questions that feel really hard and really confrontational because a lot of people think, oh, you know, the doctors and the nurses, they're the experts, I'll just guide, be guided by them, which is all good and well in a sense, except for the part where they are very, very busy with lots of other patients and your priority is your person and you need answers and you need yeah. them now. And you need to be persistent and you need to be in their face. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I called and called and they haven't returned my call. Keep calling or go in there. Be in their face, you know, stand in front of them until you get the answers that you need. Where do you want to care for your person? Can you take them home? Do you want to take them home? Or do you want them to be in hospital? If so, what can you get to make them the most comfortable? At this point in time, it really is about, When you know that they're dying and there's nothing more medically that can be done for them, I feel it's probably the most important time to be thinking about, first of all, how can we make them the most comfortable that they can be because none of us want to see our loved one in pain. And where can you be and and what what do you need so that you can be where you need to be? If you want to be beside your person holding their hand, then do we need to make a plan to get the kids picked up from school is somebody cooking for your kids is uh, can you get to the hospital every day a lot of people come out of the woodwork wanting to help you know family members from that you might not have seen for a while can be a little bit tense having them around if you haven't seen them for a while so give them a job to do you know the kids are going to be okay if somebody else picks them up from school a few days a week or, you know, because this is all usually fairly temporary and sometimes it's not and then that's a different conversation. So um, the questions that they mostly ask me are what do I do? Who do I call? What do I have to plan? If they want to keep their person at home, well, then great. How can we get the resources that you need? Who do we call? What do you need? Do you need a hospital bed? Do you need ventilation? Do you, like um you know do you need a, a home nurse? Do you need a, an extra cleaner? Do they need help going to the toilet? Being you know can you bathe them? Do you want help with that? So yeah, there's it's a lot. There's a lot yeah. involved. Um, yeah. But it could also be just you know some people are more pragmatic about it. So they might just need kind of like a list of of questions a bit you know so you help them form a to-do list basically these are all the things that you have to think about is the will in place do you know where the will is um do they have any end of life plans or wishes somewhere that you can read about you know um finding out where all of that paperwork is because there's that you know legal side of it which we don't like to think about but you know so basically giving them you know that list of what you need to know and you need to know. Where is it? Who's got it? Who needs to see it? But then there's all of the practical stuff as well. And and there's all the emotional side as well. So some people are like, yeah, yeah, I know what to do. I'm fine. I can organise the kids. I can organise whatever, whatever. But I just need someone to talk to. Yeah. And not from a sense of being counselled, um, but just being supported. Yeah. Someone who has walked in their shoes, who knows what they're going through, Provides a safe and caring space for them to just talk about whatever they need to talk about, so that they can almost, you know, okay, yep, I can go in for another day and I'm going to be okay. Um, some people don't like to cry in front of their person who's dying because they think that that puts a bit too much pressure, and which I don't really subscribe to that. I actually actually think that sharing our emotion with the person who's dying. Is actually quite cathartic for both of us. They want to know that they're going to be missed. They Mm. want to know that they're loved. They want to know that we're going to be okay and and we have to have these conversations with them. So, um, you know, I encourage people to, you know, have all the conversations in this time because this is time you'll never get back. So if you can't cry in front of them but you need to cry in front of me, let's make sure that you have yeah. a lot of crying time so that you can then go and, and be the strong person that you feel you yeah. need to be. And, you know, and it evolves, you know, if everyone is different. Everyone yeah. needs something different.
0: Yeah. I, and I think a couple of things like popped into my mind then is, you know, you're saying about the medical staff and the doctors, that the medical profession, and I say this in aged care, the medical profession are very task focused. So, you know, there's, They've got their list mentally, um, you know, whether it's a physical list, but they've got their, their jobs that they need to tick off. And, and it's not to say that they forget that we're, you know, people, um, but, you know, when you're task-focused, you're less focused on the emotions. Um, and then the flip side of that is, you know, when we are emotional uh, and we're we're caught up in the emotions, we tend to, uh, the, the, we get foggy around the, the practicality. So, you know, the fact that you're there to kind of bridge that gap between the the emotional and the practical, um, I think is a a huge thing. And I I see that in aged care too. Um, I have a question, which is a little random. Um, (laughs) That's me. I guess that, like we said earlier, the thing that keeps popping up um, in these podcast interviews is that, you know, these are all topics that we don't tend to talk about until we need to talk about them. So whether it's, you know, how to manage with a disability that, that might come on or, you you know, you've had an accident and you, you've suddenly got this disability that you didn't have before, um, whether it's dealing with funeral plans, end-of-life plans, going into aged care, um, all of those kind of topics, we don't tend to think about um, and most people don't even consider until it becomes part of their everyday life. Do you think, so we teach kids about the birds and the bees and babies and life at school. And then we talk about, you know, hormones and puberty. Do you think that there's a place in school for talking about death and end of life? That's a great
1: question. I'm not hundred percent sure that it needs to be in schools, but it absolutely needs to be a conversation that children are able to have whether it's and if it's not if their parents are not feeling like they're not equipped to have that conversation with them well then yeah definitely definitely children need to understand death and not be afraid of it i think yeah. we need to normalize death with our yeah. children um maybe it can be something that they are taught at school i'm not quite sure what that would look like but I definitely think that children need to be involved in the conversations about death so that they understand that it is a really natural part of life when no one's getting out of here alive, right? No. We're, we're, you know, it, it's inevitable.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And if we try and, and, you know, and I understand people feel like they need to protect their kids because it's hard. Yeah, it's hard, but if we've never talked about it and they have to face it for the first time as an adult, tell you what, it's a whole lot harder. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They've never
1: talked about death in their life. I mean, I grew up in a, in an environment where we were going to funerals all the time because so I grew up in a church and we are going to funerals all the time because the church had a really old population, you know, aged population, um, congregation, I should say. And I used to cry my eyes out, but it was because I just loved these old people so much. They yeah. were so kind to me and, you know, and so I was never afraid of it. I was always aware of it, you know, that it was very much, you know, um, and and although I may not have the same beliefs as how I was raised now um, about what happens after death, just knowing that it was something that could happen at any time to healthy people, seemingly healthy people, to old people, to young people, you know, accidental death, expected death, people get sick, people, you know, dying car accidents you know I think talking about it and allowing our children to be part of those conversations is is really really important because it just gives them that um, understanding of a very important part of life when my mum was dying my little two-year-old she was just short of being two she was around a lot because she wasn't at school yet or anything and I, that was just so precious. Yeah, she held Mum's hand a lot, and she was at first a little bit like, oh, "I don't want to go in there." You know, she looks, she doesn't look good. You know, she didn't talk that much actually. But you can, tell she was just like, "No, no," you know, she didn't didn't want to go. But we just held her, and you know, showed her that it was okay to touch her hand and, you know, grandma can hear you so yeah. you can sing if you want and, you know, and she heard us playing music and and those memories have stayed with her, you know, yeah. throughout her early childhood. And she's she's had these beautiful, it's amazing what they remember too, she had these beautiful comments about things about grandma and when grandma was dying and I feel like that's just a really beautiful gift that we were able to give her because now when she hears about someone it's you know, remember she met someone at kindy whose grandma had just died. She'd been away for a few days. and Oh, where have you been? Oh, my grandma died. And she walked up to this little girl and held her hand and said, my grandma died too. And they hugged. Oh. And it was just the that's beautiful, that's beautiful thing, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. which is, yeah, which is I just so yes, it, it does need to be somewhere very poignantly in, in children's lives for sure.
0: It's um I mean I've taught in aged care for the last ten years and My girls are now almost 16 and almost 14. So when I first started, they'd come with me in the school holidays or the little one before she even started school. Um, And, yeah, same. I would, you know, I'd come home from teaching classes and, you know, the the general chat around the dinner table, you know, how's your day? Um, And then they'd be like, you know, how's, How's Joyce? And I'd be like, well, sadly, you know, Joyce passed away, or you know, this happened today. This person's not very well. Um, and again, it just—it's part of conversation. So it—it, it, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, it takes away or helps to alleviate the fear of the the unknown yeah. side of it. And I think that that's the most important part. Yeah, removing
1: the fear from death because it is—it's—it's uh, it's the most common fear, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, you know, there's like public speaking. And death, I can't remember which one comes first. But yeah. you know, it's it's a huge fear. And, you know, I talk to my family all the time about, you know, the funerals that I'm doing and, you know, just sharing with them some of the experiences that I'm seeing. Um, and you know, my niece and nephew are they're now seven and twelve and they ask me questions about, you know, so how was that funeral that you did the other day, Auntie? And and we talk about it yeah. and you know, and I ask them, you know, what do you think you would like if, if you had to have a funeral? And they're like, and and it's not that we want to wish anyone to need to talk about that. Uh, no, it's, it's not that we want to wish anybody dead, you yeah. know, but yeah. just getting them to, you know, and sometimes they're like, oh, I have no idea, but you're just planning that seed for them yeah. to think, you know, and yeah. talking about what we want because, you know, they're going to be the ones that have to plan our funerals and so we're like, you know. I want this and I want that and, you know, um, just making it a part. And it's, you know, we don't talk about it every day, but it's definitely a common conversation in the family I think is really lovely. And it's becoming a common conversation in my friend's circle as well because people are very fascinated with the fact that I do this work and they have so many questions, you know, and it's getting them to think about their own mortality and the mortality of their parents, which at our age is sadly becoming, you know, we're, we're right in the the thick of that age group and so I think that you know in our community as well like not just in our families but in in our communities it's something that we need to get better at Um, you know things like dying to know day and day of the dead you know really important days of the year for us to you know spread awareness and and to open up more and more conversations and so that's something that's a work in progress for me I'm wanting yeah. to you know get get better at doing that in my own community and I'm actually also looking at um, starting a, a small uh, grief support circle because um, there's not much sort of in this local area and, and just, you know, fairly informal place for people to come, not for counselling or anything, but just to come to be together with other people who are going through the same thing yeah. so that they know that they're not alone, you know, because it's a it can be a very, very lonely road um, when you say goodbye to somebody yeah, because our friends and family, as amazing as they are, you know, supportive and loving and we need to have them around, if they've never been through it before, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to react all the time and some of them can get what I've heard referred to as like grief fatigue. It's like, oh, are you still sad about your mum's death? How long ago was that? You know, they don't say those words but that's the feeling that you can get and you sort of shut down from some people because you think that they're not responding anymore like I I don't feel supported by them but it's because they don't know what to do they don't know yeah. what to say so yeah having a place where you can go and you know that you can say whatever you need to say in a safe space and people there are on the same page they know what you're going through and they can just be compassionate it's not to fix anything we don't fix grief yeah we don't there's no cure for grief you know we we learn to live with it it changes as we grow and and we you know, we pack it into our little backpack and carry it around with us, you yes. know, in a sense, you know, yeah. not in a morbid sense, but just yeah. it, it, it becomes part of us, you know, and we learn to to manage life with that sadness, with that loss, you know, and people need to have a space where they can, yeah, talk about that and share that. But then as we get better at, at talking about it in, in families and in community groups and everything, um. Maybe we won't need grief circles anymore because yeah. people will be better
0: at it, you know? I think the other thing is I was just thinking then about my own experience with, you know, losing loved ones is and and we're obviously we're talking about the the usual journey of life. We're not talking about unexpected death or accidents in this situation. Yeah. Um but you know, if someone has gone through that process, whether it's sick or old age, there's such a long um kind of lead up to that process. Um, And then you've got the funeral and then it's almost like once you have the funeral, it's like, like we don't talk about it anymore. Um, And I think that that's a massive uh, something that we don't talk about because like you said, people don't know what to say. Um, And rather than saying, I actually don't know what to say. We just don't say anything. Um, And yeah, there's so much focus on the, the process before and the lead up. And then obviously the the practicalities of planning the funeral or the memorial or whatever, whatever that looks like. Once that happens, then you know, the people that are dropping dinner off every day aren't doing that anymore. The yeah. people that are taking the kids to school don't take them quite so much. And then that peters off. Um, people stop asking, you know, if you need help or if, you know, reach out if you need anything. Then that's that's probably the hardest part for a lot of people is that, you know, the suddenly it's quiet. And yes, yes. That, that focus that's been on caring for that person, making that person comfortable, that's that's done. Um, and then we're, we're by ourselves.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's when it, it becomes very, very lonely. And it's, you know, it, it's that sense where, the world has just gotten back to normal all of a sudden, but my world will never be the same again.
0: Yeah,
1: You know, people out there are laughing and having a good time and going to parties and I just want to cry all day. It's not like that for every person, but, you know, for, for a lot of people it is and they feel like, you know, I'm so alone in this world because it, it's just gotten back to normal and there is nothing normal about my life anymore. Yeah, And so, yeah, that's definitely a time where people need Um, what I call compassionate care because you know they that's when they have to learn how to integrate their sadness into real life because our life does go on, that's Mm -hmm. the reality. Life does go on, and we can't stop living just because we're sad about a loved one who stopped living. Yeah, we need to continue on and we need to, you know, have a good life. We need to feel joy, we need to be loving, we need to receive love, you know, all of that needs to continue on so how do we do that and and that's where you know and you know there's there's grief counseling there's a lot of different things psychologists do great work as well but you know it, it really is about having support to just help you get through each day because and you know when we're going through it I hate to say to people, you know, time heals, you know, it gets better with time because at the time you're thinking, no amount of time I'm going <laughs> to fix this. Shut <laughs> up, you know, that's not helpful. So, I, you know, I, I don't ever say that, but I'm thinking it because I, I know that in time each, and it could be a year, two years, five years, it's different for everyone, but normal life does slowly yeah become manageable again but you need support through that time so yeah it's that's a really important time to remember our friends or whoever's going through it because you know we we go to the funeral and we're all like oh my god this is so sad and i love you and i'm here for you let me know if you need anything no one's going to call up and say i'm really freaking sad can you come in like can you bring me lasagna (laughs) yeah but you know, so so we have to be more, you know, proactive in it because we sort of tend to sit back and just go, Oh, I I you know, I I did the right thing and I um you know I told them that I'm here for them. Yeah. We need to do a little bit more. Than
0: that. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> uh, we don't know. need to we don't need to um we just need to do it and not, yes. not yes. talk about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, okay, so just briefly. Describe your, uh, you probably don't have a typical day or a typical week, but um, (laughs) what does your week involve or what do your days involve? (laughs)
1: Um,
0: (laughs) Wow.
1: uh, Okay, just briefly. So (laughs) my my weeks involve um, if somebody dies that week and I need to do a family, you know, be there for a family planning a, a funeral or a celebration, a memorial, whatever, that's basically my week. Yeah, Everything else needs to get shifted around because that's very time sensitive. Um, same if somebody's dying imminently and you need to be there. Um, at this point, a lot of people um, are still just wanting a lot of, phone check-in and a lot of phone time so I can spend a lot of time here in my little office you know yeah. on the phone I'll do a little bit of zoom not much though it's mostly on the phone or sometimes FaceTime, um just talking to people I spend a lot of time talking to people actually that's probably yeah. the biggest part of my week um if there's no funeral plans actually in place at the moment well then I'm working on building my business to be honest I'm still you know bonding with social media and trying to bring my awareness out in that space. Um, but also I'm still very much in a planning space of what do I want to do for my community? So I'm in the, you know, grief circle planning stages and I'm very much in what else can I do, What you know, what can I do for Dying to Know Day? What can I do for, um, you know, the Day of the Dead? What does my community need? What do the families that I'm talking to need? Um, I do follow up with them, you know, the families that I have worked with earlier on in the year, you know, I check in on them. Yep. So I'm mainly checking in on a lot of people. That's that's probably, you know, whether it's over some some of it's email. Um, I write a lot of cards and I post a lot of cards to people. Um yeah, so the, the work itself doesn't just stop when I'm not in front of a family. Yeah. It, it just, you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes, you know, learning more about how to get into some of the aged care systems because, you know, we've had a big change in the last couple of years. There's a lot of new restrictions, you know, what do families need, how can I help in that space? Um Hmm. Yeah. I think that is as cool. brief
0: as I <laughs> <laughs> uh, That leads me to my next question, which is, you know, you just touched on, um, you know, you're there for people. Um, now I know because I, you know, we're not, we're not in the same line of work, but we're in similar lines of work where our energy is given to other people a lot of the time. Um, and I know how tiring that can be energetically. Um, and I know the importance of you know, making sure that I take care of me. How, how does that look for you? Um, are you? Is that something that you're good at or you need to work on? Or um, obviously some weeks are more challenging than others as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a time-sensitive
1: thing too, isn't it? Some weeks yeah. you're better, I'm better at it because I have more time yeah. for self-care. Um, but I do, you know, regular yoga practices and I do knee dancing. So I have, you know, physical outlets, you know, I try to walk on the beach as often as I can, not as often as I should. <laughs> um, I do a lot of meditation. That's probably my biggest thing because I can do that at home and it's free, and you know, and I have a beautiful space here to do it in. So, and I do a lot of journaling as well, which is really helpful because you know, processing everything that I come across because you know, it's all confidential too. I can't just be Mm. sprouting off to people, oh, this happened and this happened. She said this and she said that. So, you know, um, yeah, I do a lot of journaling and a lot of, um, you know, expressing of my inward, and obviously the work I do as well brings up a lot of personal issues for me Mm -hmm. as well so I do a lot of processing in that and usually it's through um you know I play a lot of music you know sing in my own space and dance in my own backyard and yeah yeah, so it needs it it's like a physical you know you gotta almost shake it off you know kind of thing but not shake it off you gotta process it but then release it is what it is yeah yeah um and I guess you know the the self-care comes from my connection with my family and friends too so I have really special bonds with my husband my sister my niece my nephew my brother-in-law and some really close close friends that are practically family that I spend time with and don't talk about work like I'm just there as yeah you know as a friend or as a you know and my grandparents spend a lot of time with them too so human connection is really important for me yeah. in, in in all of that positive aspect, because that's what fills my cup up to be able to go and be in people's sadness, you know. So, you know, back to that question a second ago, though, about what else I do in my week, I just thought of two key things that I spend doing in my week, and that is compassionate care sessions with people who are grieving. I sit with them and just sit with them yeah. for whatever they need we just talk we you know open up a like I said it's not counseling as such because there's nothing to fix but um so I do a lot of compassionate care sessions with people who are grieving and I do a lot of end-of-life planning with people yeah. who aren't dying okay so that's the big thing that I really am advocating at the moment because like you said before we leave a lot of this stuff to the very last minute and sometimes people don't have that opportunity. So you know, getting people, encouraging people to put plans in place. I have an end of life plans and wishes record that we go through very meticulously and answer Mm -hmm. a lot of questions and, you know, and then they have this document to give to their family members and, you know, just in case anything happens. And it includes their funeral ceremony plan and it includes how they'd like to be cared for if and when they need to be cared for. Um, And it includes all of that business end of stuff, you know, like passwords and
0: yeah um, logins and things practicalities like yeah. would be amazing if that kind of service was incorporated into aged care like you said um because you know a, a lot of the time and i see it is you know families are dealing with that on top of dementia or Alzheimer's and it's kind of now, if that was documented before that journey or early on in that that journey with dementia, um, yeah. I'm sure that would help to alleviate a lot of the, the pressure and the stress of and the kind of second guessing of, like, what would mum have wanted? Like, what would dad have wanted? I wish I'd asked. Absolutely. Oh, you know, I never Absolutely. talked about it. You know, I don't actually know what his favourite song was or I don't know what you know, what flowers she'd like or whether she even wants flowers. Like it's it's all those kind of things. And that's all of that stuff that you just mentioned is part of what this
1: record is about because you're so right. I've seen it time and again where people in the family are like, she want that did she it's like well how you know how do I know what she wanted I did not ever ask that question or nah she wouldn't have wanted that well yes she did because she told me how you know and so it takes away the discord that can happen between people who could make different decisions yeah um and it also you know like you said in aged care or whatever situation it is or if they just get sick and all of a sudden there's so many other things to think about and make decisions about, if you've got a, re- a document there that can take a bit of the pressure off some of the decision-making, it just makes, it it's, It it's takes the, a big load off the, the family who have to plan everything. And there's also comfort that you receive in being able to honour your person's wishes, yeah. you know, when you know yeah. what they want and you're like, I can do that, you know. Yeah. And sure, some things may have changed in the time that you wrote it to when you need to use it, but you do the best you can with yeah. the current situation and, you know, that's that's actually a really amazing thing for the family to be able to do. So, yeah, that's really, really important and I'm a huge advocate with about end-of-life planning and I think my friends are sick of hearing me say about <laughs> it, but, I, you know, like things happen. Things yeah. happen and and we just, you know, and I, d- I don't think, you know, people don't like having the conversation. Even my husband can't commit to what he wants, you know, because he's, he jokes about it, you know. So, yeah,
0: not quite comfortable with death yet, maybe. <laughs> but, but we're working on that. I think it's also important to remember that not every family, like the siblings get on. So, and, you know, you might have one that is, super practical and super organized and and almost can separate from the emotions. But then someone else is, you know, overcome with the emotions and can't focus on the practicalities. And then sometimes it becomes about what the children want yeah. rather than what the person wants. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having that plan in place can, can alleviate some of that pressure and stop the bickering because let's be honest, not every family gets on at the best of times, uh-huh. let alone when they're, they're facing, you know, the death of a loved one and they've got all that emotion thrown in. And, you know, you might have those that are like, you know, this has got to be done, this has got to be done, this got to be done, this has got to be done, and someone else is like, well, can we actually slow down a little bit and do this? Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. having a plan is a huge relief for Absolutely. families. Yeah, yeah, for all of those reasons and many
1: more, yeah. Yeah, is, yeah, so. yeah.
0: Um, Okay, we're going to end, because I knew we'd just keep talking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's been easy to talk. I know. Um, We're going to end with your, and and I'm going to say try and keep it (laughs) brief, but I know we probably won't, Um, three ways that you can help families and loved ones. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, first of all, it is the end of life planning, which we've really just covered there. So really important. Put yep. some plans in place. If not officially with someone like me, just do it yourself. Um, but that's definitely the most important thing to do, regardless of how old you are, regardless of whether you're sick or not, put some plans in place and tell your family where to find them. Um, secondly, the farewell ceremony. You know, ceremonies and ritual are really important for our bereavement and um. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I don't need a funeral. I don't, you know, and no, you don't, you're dead, but your family probably does need a way to say goodbye. So think of them and allow your family to put something in place. Um, And so what I love doing is, you know, creating that beautiful ceremony with the family in a beautiful, unique way for whatever they need to honour their person. So whether it's really traditional, you know, churches and burials and, you know, cremation services and things like that, that's all perfect. Or you can do something really unique and I actually really love it when people want to get a bit creative and do it in their back garden or, you know, a meaningful outdoor um, place that means something to their family. There's something very, uh, very special about, farewelling someone in the great outdoors it's very freeing you can celebrate freely you can grieve freely um and yeah you know there's so many more options than people probably think um you know there's a lot outside of the box that we can do and being a celebrant as well I get to not only plan it with families that I may have been working with through death, then I get to officiate the ceremony as well, which is just so special. You know, it's that natural progression for me, which I absolutely love. Um, And the third way a doula can help, and I love to help my families, is that compassionate care. So, you know, taking aside all of that planning and preparation prior to death, but just the emotional side of, you know, giving them a space to freely express what they need to, all the way through. So that can start before death, during the death, and then after the death as well. So it's just that ongoing journey with people being there for them from the practical side of things as well as the emotional side of things.
0: Beautiful. Great. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I guess we talked about social media and your website. Um, where can we find you?
1: Uh, website is au. Yep. Uh, Facebook, it's the same, I think, McLeod with a Silver Lining, End of Life Celebrant and Law. And Instagram is just at McLeod with a Silver Lining. I tried to keep it all fairly the yep. same. Um, that's about well, it. And, and time, I, I will, thought.
0: we will pop that in the show notes anyway for anyone that wants to find you. Where are you based? I didn't ask that question.
1: I'm Sunshine Coast, Queensland. Beautiful, Beautiful. Queensland.
0: Yeah, Beautiful. sunny, hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <Hotter> at <laughs> the moment.
1: Celebrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot.
0: Really hot. yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I really thank appreciate you. being able to to talk about the things that you know people find difficult to talk about. And and hopefully by doing more of this kind of work, then we can gradually make a a change and people aren't scared to talk about it. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an absolute thrill. Thank you. Thanks, Anne-Marie. My name's Emma. I'm from the Daisy Chain. And thank you so much for listening to the Daisy Chain podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit our website www.thedaisychain.com. You can also visit our Facebook or Instagram page.